Capital Council of Provinces. Delegates in the hybrid sitting enjoy the same powers and privileges that apply in the sitting of the National Council of Provinces. The interpretation facility is active. Permanent delegates, members of the executive, special delegates, and Sangha representative are requested to ensure that the interpretation facility on their gadgets are properly activated to facilitate access to the interpretation services. Any delegate who wish to speak must use raise hand function. All delegates may participate in the discussion through the chat room. Connect to the virtual platform as well as insert their cards to register on the chamber system. Honorable delegates, in accordance with the Council Rule 229, subsection 1, there will be no notices of motion or motion without notice. Honorable delegates, before we proceed to the question, I would like to take this opportunity to welcome the minister from the governance cluster, specifically the minister in the presidency for governance, Honorable Minister Ngungubele, the minister for women, youth, and persons with disabilities, Honorable Ngwanamashabane, MEC, and all permanent special delegates to the House. Further, I would like to make the following remarks, Honorable Ministers. The time for reply by the minister to a question is strictly five minutes. Only four supplementary questions are allowed per question. A member who has asked the initial question will be the first to be afforded the opportunity to ask the supplementary question. The time for asking a supplementary question is two minutes. The time for reply to supplementary question is four minutes. The supplementary question must emanate from the initial question. I will now call upon Minister in the Presidency for Governance to respond to question number 43, asked by Honorable Shaikh. I've been informed that uh, Honorable Moimang will be standing in for Honorable Shaikh. Honorable Minister, it's, it, I think it will be in order to have the facility. Honorable Minister, if you can have the facility in front, I think it will be convenient and we'll have your paper. Yes. It, it will really assist you. <laughs> You are dealing with the first question, question number 43. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson of the NSOP, Honorable Members. The department's mandate is to facilitate influence and support effective planning, monitoring and evaluation of governing programs aid at improving service delivery outcomes and the impact on society. TBMB does not have an integrated an integrated government-wide early warning system to track and or detect policy failures and poor implementations. 
Currently, the department uses a number of instruments, processes, and methodologies as a government-wide early warning system. Amongst those examples include monitoring a national development plan 2030, through tracking implementation of the medium-term strategy framework by annual report. The MTSF biannual report provides progress with the implementation of the sustained agenda of government. In the development of the MTSF biannual reports, the DMP draws data from all its monitoring system. The MTSF provides a warning to cabinet on where challenges are and early and clearly indicates where targets are not likely to be met. This offers cabinet an early warning system indicating which indicators of the sustained agenda will not be met. Assessing quality of management practices and delivery in local government through the local government management improvement model. The LGMM is based on proactive approach in support of the objective of achieving responsive, accountable, effective and efficient development of local government system. It assists in identifying and resolving institutional problems, thereby ensuring that municipalities meet the minimum floor of norms and standard of good institutional performance. The rollout of LGMIM is currently in its ninth year since its inception and pilot. To date, 262 municipal assessments have been concluded with Metropolitan district and local municipalities having participated in the program. Of the total 12 were assessed during 2013-14 financial year in the pilot phase, three municipalities were assessed in 2014-15, 2015-16 financial year respectively. 41 municipalities were assessed during the 2016-17 financial year, 33 municipalities during the 2017 financial year, 37 municipalities during the 2018-19. Frontline Service Delivery Monitoring System. The DBME also conducts frontline monitoring visits through which trends and challenges with call phase service delivery are tracked. Emerging trends are identified and policy failures are also detected. This serves as L warning. Through this improvement, plans are then developed in consultation with the relevant stakeholders to address issues. FSD monitoring visits are currently underway focusing on ideal clinics and safe schools. Monitoring the SONA commitments is another tool. Following each state of the nation address, the TPME and the presidents collaborate to design instruments for tracking progress with SONA commitments. The TPME compiles reports for the president on the state of progress with these commitments. The more recent having been produced in June 2022. Currently, the TPME does not have a complete digital government-wide early warning system, which is interoperable. Interoperable. The DBME aims to introduce a digital monitoring system, taking advantage of advances in the digital technology. To track progress towards government annual performance plans, the DBME builds on quarterly reports that are submitted through the existing electronic platform, which enables a single view of performance across nation and provincial government departments. Through these reports, TPME can track the state of performance on quarterly basis and engage 
affected department. There's currently an endeavor to reform the monitoring evaluation system, starting with effective monitoring of infrastructure programs and the state of the nation address. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Minister. First follow-up questions from Honorable Miemang, standing in for Honorable Shaikh. Honorable Miemang? Can you have the mic on for... Yes, it's on. Thank you, thank you, uh, uh, House Chair. Uh, let me also express my appreciation uh, to the manner in which uh, the Honorable Minister uh, gave a comprehensive uh, response to the question post, posed. Uh, the the thrust of uh, what the Honorable Minister said illustrates uh, uh, the commitment to forge a solid and seamless synergy with all government departments, entities, social partners, including also the local government sphere, with a view to ensure that uh, uh, plans are aligned to strategies and objectives. Now, the question that I want to pose, Honorable Minister, is when do we envisage uh, to have uh, uh, the uh, integrated development planning framework bill finalized and kindly update the House in terms of what are the thrusts of that uh, integrated uh, development planning framework bill? Thank you, uh, Honorable House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Chair, can you repeat, repeat the last sentence? Uh, what is the objective of the integrated uh, development planning framework bill, and when do we envisage to have it finalized? Thank you. Thank you. you thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Honorable Chair. Currently, as we speak, we have and system that speaks in a more focused manner to national and province. And I've already spoken about what I expect to as government, as local government management improvement model, which is based on a proactive approach in support of the objectives of achieving a responsive, accountable, effective, and efficient development system. I've already said that in terms of the government-wide integrated system, it is what we are working on in a more digitized way. Until we, are, we put this together, we are going to be able to actually uh, give a more pronounced and a more seamless and a more clearer uh, reporting in this area. As I've already said, the tools we're using now uh, to close that gap until that integrated system in a digitized way is in place. We said we have having a national development plan to actually actualize its implementation. We use a medium term strategic framework as one tool. And we also use the frontline service delivery monitoring system. And lastly, we also use monitoring the sonar commitments of the president. They close the gap of the absence of that integrated system. And of course, they don't fully replace its efficiency. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The second follow-up question is from Honorable Ryder. Honorable Ryder. Thank you, Astrid. Minister, we appreciate you attending here in person today. Thank you very much for coming. 
Minister, many of the laws and regulations that are passed by your cabinet have unintended consequences. I don't think anyone can see into the future and see all of the outcomes that, of the laws that they pass. But I'd like to focus on the moratorium that was placed on the evictions during COVID-19 state of disaster. It was well-intentioned to prevent people from being unfairly evicted, but it also gave opportunity to land invaders to manipulate the regulations and move with impunity. Now, two years later, we uh, have thousands of shacks and even brick-and-mortar structures that have been built, and there's a demand on municipalities to provide services to these um, locations that have been built. The Jackson's Drift settlement in Eichenhof is one such settlement. So never mind an early warning system. It, It seems that you haven't even got a late warning system. Minister, what is the plan to help municipalities to deal with these unplanned and unserviced and resultantly unhygienic settlements that have been brought about by bad regulations? How does Cabinet intend rolling back these illegal land invasions, which were protected by yourselves? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Uh, I guess from your own words, you are acknowledging the fact that the circumstances of COVID dictated unorthodox means or unorthodox measures of dealing with that situation. Amongst others, uh, trying to put a halt to evictions so as to be able to manage the biggest stress of the time, which was transmission. Indeed, there could have been unorthodox measures leading to unintended consequences, something you are correct to have to deal with. But I'm sure you will remember even before COVID, our country has been faced with the challenge of illegal, what to call invasion which have got serious implications for service delivery. Uh, our view is that the long-term sustainable solution there is to implement the law. But whilst you implement the law, you have to implement it in line with its prescripts. For instance, if people, as you know, the history of our country is confronted with uh, dispossession, displacement, and then post-94, people up in arms demanding that which is actually due to them. You've got that ju- just justified anger and desperation at the same time having committed ourselves that our transformation is going to be a legal one. The combination of those two is not an easy job, but however, we are committed to ensure that law is implemented. But at the same time, you will not ignore people who find themselves in an open space who need water, who need sanitation, and so on. So in other words, it's livelihood and lives at the same time. So we are trying to balance that, but a sustainable way is to make sure that we implement our laws. If I may use one example, Chair, as we were in looking at the at, at the floods in KZN, one go to, went to the Bayhead Bridge where they were able to show us in the hinterlands of the railway infrastructure, our informal settlements invade 
the railway lines and remove the vegetation, which creates erosion. By so doing, undermine the functionality of the railway system, which is key in delivering a lot of key strategic goods to the coast where they are supposed to be sold somewhere so that our economy can improve. In other words, there's a multiplicity of issues that we try to do. It's quite a long way, but something has to be done about it. I'm in agreement. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The third follow-up question is from Honorable Mateula. Uh, Minister, the public policy implementation in South Africa is faced with countless problems and challenges which have resulted in public policy not yielding the expected result as stated in the public policy directive of said public policy documents. Will the warning system also detect the challenges faced across provinces such as non-compliance of public policy, lack of knowledge, skills, experience, and expertise in local government. If not, why not? If so, please provide details. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable Member. Uh, The Minister of Finance, in his budget speech this year, spoke very strongly about the state of local government. We, we therefore are not surprised the interventions that are taking place in municipalities like uh, Queenstown, Inogimkijima, and Mangaung, uh, and a number of these municipalities. It is an acknowledgement of the state of the capacity of local government and its manifestations. If you let the minister, the minister would have said, one, one of the problems we have there is the skills, is resources, and to some degree, uh, he also referred to even the political leadership of those municipalities. All those combined uh, constitute the capacity limitations, which if not resolved, we are not going to be able to actually deal with the issues that you are speaking about. But what I'm saying is that there is an intervention in that regard. Has it got to be improved at all material terms? We assess our interventions and continue to improve them where they prove to be weak. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The fourth follow-up question is from Honorable Dutoit. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, um, according to journals.co.za, the challenges with policy implementation are, among others, a lack of resources, inadequate skills or training, inadequate staffing of personnel, slow response time of supplies. And, um, Minister, I want to know, it's, it's welcomed that um, there is an early warning system to some extent. But what is done to address the issue of incompetent in, and inadequate staff in this regard? It's no use that we have early warning systems that tell us where the problems are with implementation if we don't address the issue um, that the policies are not implemented as a result of staff. Thank you, Minister. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. You know. Uh, 
I think the, the biggest challenge is to deal with issues of leadership. And in general, we all agree upon that. Why is this critical? Is that from my experience as a mayor in a municipality, we didn't have all the skills we required. But some of you will remember on record, our municipalities at some stage, I think it was 2015, not 2014, it was declared the best run municipality. It is not because we had all the skills we wanted. It's because leadership was provided in a more consistent and a more sustained way. I, when I say this, I sometimes use the laboratories in the rural communities. A lot of best scientists have come from the rural communities where there is no uh, laboratory infrastructure. Because of discipline in the environment, properly-led institutions, because they say where there's a will, there's always a way. So we are focusing on turning around leadership, even more than dry skills. So that's what we're looking at now. Two days ago, the entire cabinet, it involved premiers. The premier of the Western Cape was there, Houghton, and a number of premiers. This is the matter now that is being focused on. In two weeks' time, we are revisiting that discussions so that we can come out with a way forward to deal exactly with the issues that you have just raised. Thank you, Honorable Member. Thank you. Before we can proceed, Honorable Minister, as NCOP, we like to acknowledge uh, a graduate trainee to the NCOP, uh, Ms. Nikita Ensen. We are trying our little that we can in terms of capacity development. Nikita, if you can raise your hand so that they can see you in front. Thank you. Thank you. We are not just asking the questions to ministers in terms of skills development, but we are trying to lead, by example, under leadership of the chair and the deputy chair. <laughs> honorable Minister, we now come to question number three, four, asked by Honorable Browdense. Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Uh, the key actions undertaken by DPME include monitoring the disbursements of funds, use of the funding, implementation of key interventions, and to establish the extent to which the desired results are met in line with three-phase approach announced by the President. At the onset of the flood disaster, DPME provided guidance and support to affected provinces and municipalities to reprioritize and allocate funding to implement the planned flood disaster, flood disaster intervention. In, a, in collaboration with National Treasury, TPM is supported offices of the Premier in KwaZulu-Natal, Eastern Cape, Northern Cape, and Northwest on the revision of annual performance plans and adjustments to 2022-23 budget allocation to incorporate the impact of the disaster. In other words, the revision of this performance plan was to adjust because of the impact the disaster would have caused. TPME also intensified its monitoring and reporting efforts to identify gridlocks 
and bottlenecks and the disbursements of funds and the delivery of the interventions. During the monitoring process, DPME observed that funding requests were slow due to the delays in completing assessments and verification of damages that needed to be done before funding applications could be submitted. A similar observation was noted by the National Treasury in its reports to the Oversight Committee on National State of Disaster on the impact of severe weather events and the Parliamentary Ad Hoc Joint Committee on Flood Disaster Relief and Recovery Established Flood Disaster Management Coordination Structure. Although National Treasury 1st August 2022 reported that the momentum has picked up concerning funding applications to the various funding streams, their processing, approval, and release of funding, there were concerns about the pace of spending the allocation even when those processes are improved. The requirement of real-time audit has added to the timeframes needed to finalize procurement for various interventions. DPME monitoring reports were used to engage government departments and entities such as National Disaster Management Center and the National Treasury to identify and implement actions to address bottlenecks. Furthermore, DPME worked with the provincial departments, municipalities, and National Treasury to develop alternative strategies to address the bottlenecks. Going forward, DPME will continue monitoring both disbursements and implementation, make the evidence available, and continue to engage with department municipalities and national treasury to increase the pace of disbursement and deliver other initiatives that will be monitored and reported on are the recommendation by the Forum of Directors General meeting that the disaster management system be overhauled, recommendation to the National Disaster Management Center that all provinces that are affected be requested to present to Net joints focus NJFFC. They are consolidated information on the funding application. They have submitted and or intend to submit highlighting specific challenges, hampering submission of such applications, and the nature of support required. This will enable identification of relevant capacity to provide support where required. The provinces are expected to present. Detailed reports listing specific projects where grant expenditure have been utilized or planned to be utilized. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first follow-up question is from Honorable Pradensen. Pradensen is right at the back. Can you have that mic at the back? On the side of KZN, the last row at the back. Chairperson, these systems no longer indicate where you must uh, sit. (laughs) And frankly, I think it's a bit childish that we as adults cannot turn our own microphones on. I really think it's quite ridiculous. But Chairperson, thank you very much, nevertheless. Welcome, Nikita. Would you like to answer the question? (laughs) Um, I'm just joking. Um, Honourable Minister Gungubeli, thank you very much for being here with us today. It's it's a pleasure. 
thank you very much for your for your response to the question. And uh, Minister, I speak as a member of the Ad Hoc Committee on the Floods. And so this is not grandstanding or taking a shot. It's, it's out of great concern for the people of KwaZulu uh, uh, Natal, Eastern Cape, Northwest that are really struggling at the moment. You said that you've been monitoring the disbursement of funds um, and the use of the funds and identifying gridlocks. Um, it would be great if you could give us an idea, if you are indeed doing that, how many, how much funds have been dispersed and what are they being used for? And then you also, what concerns me is that you've identified gridlocks and that the funding is proceeding very slowly. It's very concerning that at the 1st of August we're picking that up. We should have been picking up that funding was moving very slowly, surely in April or May, and had an urgent intervention at that point to, to make sure that funding flowed. Uh, myself, along with members, uh, the, the House Chair today, Omar Mohambi um, and Honorable Chai, were in Johannesburg on the 1st of July, and we were told there by the relevant officials that they'd received literally only a handful of applications. And I, I literally said to them, do you mean a handful? Is a turn of phrase? They said, no, a handful. And that is extremely concerning. So my question is, can you give us some insight in, in terms of the flow of funding at the moment, what it's being used for? Uh, we haven't had any AG reports yet. Um, and then also, can you advise the revised disaster management plan? Obviously, it will fall very much within your, your mandate. When do you think we could look at having a new national revised disaster management plan? Thank you, Minister. Thank you. Honourable Minister. Thank you, Honourable Member. You've asked me about the financial data and the, the last time I came across that, I'm trying to... No, Honourable uh, Minister to assist so that you you, you can assist the house. Uh, the rules are clear, not unless, if you don't have something that is to do with some statistics, you have to provide in writing. But if it's a general question, you, you can deal with it. But the relevant question so that uh, it, it, the house can be assisted in terms of the nature of the stats out of uh, the details. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, it's going to be difficult, Honourable Member, to give you the specific figures. <clears throat> but all what we can tell you is that the last time I looked at it, but not long ago, a few days, it could be around $2 billion, But we need to give the detail of how that has been done. And, uh, of course, the other question you asked, if you may repeat it, is on the National Disaster Plan. I didn't actually hear the question. Honourable Prime Minister, your latter part of your question. No, the one on next to you. Oh, nice moving. No, the. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the House Chair is having fun with me today. Um, Minister, the look, I, I think that we're all aware, and I certainly uh, indicated this in the joint debates in, in the Good Hope Chamber, is this is not going to be the last one. Uh, climate change means that we're going to have storms like this again, and perhaps not in 20 years' time, but maybe in two, three, four, five years' time. So I'm asking, you, you mentioned that you are working on a revised disaster management plan. So can you give us an idea of when that might be in place? 
because I think we may need it sooner rather than later to, to be ready for this sort of thing. Thank you. No, thanks, I remember. I'm always careful of, if you can switch, careful of pronouncing your, your surname. It's not very easy. But I didn't say. <laughs> You know, on our level, we, we've all accepted that our disaster capacity leaves much to be desired. The president has said it himself. For instance, if you look at the time it took to just give an interim assessment of the damage for an interim intervention to a long term, in the, to long term, to, to, to permanent assessment for permanent plan to deal with the situation. Normally, it took a couple of weeks to come to that. Ideally, when a disaster management system works, the interim assessment need to take days. A week is too long because normally there are damages that need immediate what to call intervention. You will go, for instance, to what happened to Toyota, the disconnection in energy, some of those issues, they were supposed to have been assessed with immediate effect and so that to prevent an irreparable damage, you intervene timely. And as far as that part is concerned, we've agreed that our national disaster management system needs a significant revision bordering on overhaul. And it's a matter I discussed this last night, I think this morning, if not last night, with the Minister of Cocta. We discussed it for, I think, a month ago with her. We agree that the DPME must immediately lead a system of overhauling that, exactly in view of what you have said, that the climate change is here to stay with us, the vulnerability of the placement of our people in particular that was exposed in KZN, we need urgently to be in a position. Even before completing the required capacity, there should be interim measure with regard to how do we deal with this situation. But to say by when, my biggest prayer as soon as possible, if it was possible this year, but I'm very careful of timeline, until we put together, uh, having analyzed, we, we need a scientific, complete analysis of the problem so that we've got a clear plan. Once we have those two, one is able to say in five months' time or in three months' time, but I want to argue as soon as possible. It's a matter that can wait. You can be safe, Honorable Minister, to call him Honorable TJ. So so that you don't struggle. Say Honorable TJ is fine. Uh, A second follow-up question is from um, Honorable Mamarohan. Thanks, Honorable House Chairperson. Honorable Minister, according to media reports, it appears that central to the delays is the costing of the required projects by the municipalities and the province provinces to the national treasury. If this is true, has the department considered advising 
the National Treasury and other affected national sector department to deploy teams to the affected municipalities to assist with the costing and other related financial management issues as part of the fast-tracking the rollout funds. Thanks. Thank you. Honorable Minister. Thanks, Honorable Member. That, that's a logical requirement because one of the challenges we have been confronted with, it's actually it's a correct assessment that uh, it has been a struggle costing the the damage in some areas, not all of them. Minister of Finance and his team having actually found that and the Montana Revolution Unit having found that we've been actually trying to interact with the affected institutions to do the best we can assist in that regard with Treasury being involved. For instance, if you listen to my response, in my response I'm saying one of the things DPME did, immediately this disaster caused this damage. What we have done was it clearly, it meant unplanned resources being required and against the budgeted resources, which is not anticipated. TPME has gone in again to assist the various spheres, be it local and province, to actually adjust their performance plans to make sure that they take into account the unplanned resource requirement. But to, in short, yes, we've, we've tried our best. Uh, I'm very much convinced that a lot still needs to be done in assisting them. The fact that now there has been an improvement, it is a result of an attempt to assist. There's still a lot of cap. Because at the end of the day, no matter how much assistance you give, if the minimum capacity to actually take advantage of that assistance is not yet there, there'll still be a gap. But that exercise has been carried. Thank you, Honourable Minister. The third follow-up question is from Honourable Hatebe. Thank you, House Chair. Honourable Minister, what commitments for consequence management will be undertaken to ensure that these funds are not misappropriated and to ensure that the funds released to help those affected by this disaster reach their intended recipients? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Pungani. Honorable Minister. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. That's quite a very critical question. Honorable Members will remember that the President announced AG coming in timelessly. Immediately interventions were taking place so that the real-time auditing is done. Indeed, that is ongoing. What does it mean? It means... AG sits with Treasury on a regular basis to be advised on the key transactions that need to be followed. Normally, preceding that, they would have refreshed their minds for a common understanding on the principles to follow. Remember, this is a disaster situation. It means adapting the procedures to actually approve funding. It means things being done quicker than AG together with Treasury have organized a system that ensures that no matter what speed, what speed that approval is done, there's real-time auditing to check if transactions have followed the normal procedures. And you will realize, if I'm not being naughty, that some have delayed now making applications 
because they know it has to go through that. And some have said there's a slow approval. Not all of them are victims of slow approval. Some of them is because there's a reluctance to follow the real-time auditing, which is in the uh, which is in the line of sight between the Treasury and AG. So those are interventions. We have not yet been briefed about any alarming developments. We are watching the space. Thanks. Thank you, Honourable Minister. The fourth follow-up question is from Honourable Lutuli. On the, oh, it's going to be Honourable Lehihi. Honourable Lehihi. Honourable Lehihi is right at the corner, on the side of Limpopo at the end. Yes. Thank you, Shepard. Have the mic closer to you. Thank you. Kalevaka. Chairperson, it has been over four months since the devastating floods and four months since the lives of thousands of homeless victims have deteriorated. As they are still housed in halls in, halls in areas like Verlam and Dangers. As the provincial and national government go back and forth with the process of accessing the one billion that was promised to assist flood victims in KwaZulu Natal. Minister, when will the one billion in relief funding which was promised be made available to the people of KZN? And who is going to assist at Hukweni Access Relief? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Uh, we have explained the issue of what we learned several times. Um, that it is not one billion exclusively for Wazul That there's always that, that amount is always there for immediate intervention. And it has been explained, the processes that are followed, that different, in particular provinces, they always have every year the emergency allocation of this kind so that if it occurs, they first use what is at their disposal. If what is at their disposal has been stretched, they are able to access that one billion through human settlement. Part of it is in the human settlement. Part of it is in Cogta. Together, it makes that billion. Uh, as I've already said to you, the recent states I had, close to two, if not more than two billion money that has been released. Because remember, the one billion is for interim. There's a damage which is not budgeted for. And you have to then start allocating even beyond that one billion. There is that amount whose debts I said uh, will actually be provided. Thank you very much. Thank you, our Minister. Our Minister, we now come to question number 44, asked by Honorable BB. Oh, Mama. Honorable Minister. Question 44. It is asked by who? It's, it's question from um, uh, Honorable PB. 44. 44. 44. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, yes, the DPME has continued to engage 
with various stakeholders in the broader society to find ways to find ways to collaborate in efforts to strengthen planning, monitoring, and evaluation. Various platforms have been created for this to happen. Key engagement includes the TPME Active Engagement is a member of collaboration on various activities with South African Monitoring and Evaluation Association. Among the 2022-23 activities are the co-hosting of the SAMIA conference to be held in September 2022 and the development of South African Evaluation Evidence Map, which is intended to serve as public knowledge resource on evaluation. Engagements with the, the other uh, interface involve engagement with civil society stakeholders within the context of the implementation and monitoring of National Anti-Corruption Strategy Acts. TPME recently engaged with Business Unity South Africa to explore collaborations on unlocking bottlenecks in the economy and develop a toolkit for information sharing. The department has also led similar engagements between the DGs in the economic cluster and the Black Business Council. TPME has facilitated engagement between various government departments to devise a strategy on rural development. This includes workshops attended by Minister Didiza and various government departments. The National House of Traditional Leaders has also been part of these processes. In the wake of recent flood disaster in KwaZulu-Natal, TAPME met with Deben Chamber of Commerce as a way to get business views on the endeavors to improve government response to disaster. TPME has similarly had engagement with the United Nations South Africa, specifically the UNDP, to benchmark best practices from other countries on their responses to disaster and how they monitor disaster and relief efforts. TPME has actually partnered with research institutions such as National Research Foundation, GTEC, and higher education institutions to prepare for SA COVID-19 country report, which records the measures and interventions adopted by South Africa to combat the spread of the virus. The, the DPME has consulted with civil society representatives and experts on planning policy and is working with various experts on planning methodologies such as modeling, foresight, and scenario planning. DPME coordinates, monitors, and reports on the implementation of National Food and Nutrition Security Plan 2018-23. This work entails tracking interventions implemented by 10 national government departments, provinces, as well as civil society organizations in the country, such as South African Civil Society for Women, Adolescents and Children's Health. These interventions are aimed at optimizing food security and good nutrition. The other issue is the colloquium that is annually had. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first follow-up is from Mama, Honorable Baby. Oh, Baba. I love you, Baba. Love you more. Good morning, son. Baba, you alone. And morning, Baba. Ugutu wazile, ugutu pendule ga shumbuso wangu. 
ukuthi ngempela ngempela umnyango wakho uyakwazi ukuthi usebenzele inhlaka ezehlukene ukuze sikwazi ukuthi sihlangabezane nokuthi siphuhlise phela omasipala bethu kodwa ke umbuzo wami ngize ubuza ngale limi lontaba kayikhonjo ngoba ngifuna ukuthi baphendule kahle baba ukuthi bezwe ukuthi umnyango wakho usebenza kanjani my question is has the department in collaboration with the sector departments considered piloting a structure partnership especially with the built engineering and water resource management sector to address some of the pertinent challenges that are facing our municipalities thank you mama Honorable Minister, <laughs> the, sorry, Honorable Ryder. No translation coming through, so if you can just check what this problem No, I will attend to it uh, so that they attend to it. Honorable Minister. Sorry, Honorable uh, Member, you, you're referring to partnering with the engineering sector. Okay, sector. Well, that's fine. Well, uh, one of the important challenges in the results-based management, in the results-based management approach, which others prefer to refer to it as logic framework, for it to be fruitfully and productively done, you need to work with structures like the one you've just spoken about. Because uh, when I was in parliament, uh, there is an oversight model which parliament is supposed to follow when doing oversight. It's, it's cyclical in nature. It's got uh, beams, which is called uh, budget information metrics and uh, budget uh, oversight model. And the, the part I like is the toolkit part. That toolkit part requires the skills we've just spoken about. Because what does it do? It assists wherever there are commitments to produce certain outputs, it trains all of us, those who are doing oversight, to be able to analyze that, that which is projected or committed to be done, whether it makes sense in terms of money committed, whether it makes sense in terms of the time frame also committed. Because there are those technical requirements, it, it calls strongly not just to introduce quality leaders in the municipality, also introduce people with those skills. Because all these M&E processes, for them to be effectively done, you need all the aspects of the skills required for that exercise. In other words, what I'm to say, uh, indeed we are in agreement with that. It's one of the efforts that are being pursued. Thank you, Minister. The second follow-up question is from Honourable Dudoit. Honourable Dudoit. Thank you, Honourable Chair. Honourable Minister, this is a very broad subject, um, and I think we, that's to our advantage. You just mentioned that the support that, that, that is given from other entities, engineers, uh, we're looking at leadership in municipalities. We're sitting with a situation in the J.B. Marks municipality, 
where a construction of a disaster center was started. Millions of rands were spent. Um, engineers advised the municipality to stop the construction because of flaws of the, the contractor that was uh, appointed. And then an administrator was appointed um, under Section 139, and he then basically forced the whole process to proceed. At the end of the day, that disaster center hasn't been finalized yet. Um, there are a lot of questions around money spent to, to that regard. Minister, my question is, in situations like that where you approach the provincial legislature, and you ask them to intervene and to give a closeout report of the administrator, and that is not given uh, after requesting it time and time again from the from the Premier. What is the next step to be taken to see to it that uh, there is accountability and that the oversight role is played sufficiently? Thank you, Minister. Yeah. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. None of you is trying to make my day easy. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> I'm at work. Uh, I think what is agreed is that in the few days where the president convened all spheres to look at that matter, not specifically J.B. Marx, but to look at this matter of ineffective interventions, that what are the underlying reasons? that interventions are not effective. One of the things that have been actually said there is one, the delay, the time it takes to intervene. By the time you intervene, the damage is done. Two, even at time we intervene, we intervene in a manner that is unaccountable. What do I mean by this? There is no system of reporting of how the intervention itself is performing. Thirdly, sometimes even the people we, we deploy do not, what to call, have the fit, uh, the, the skills that befit the, the, the situation. One of the strong proposals in the past two days is that in South Africa, we have to improve the accountability system. <laughs> sometimes I usually say, on a butcher, in South Africa, there are things that we should not politicize at all. Issues like a system of accountability. That's not an ideological issue. It's an issue of making sure that people report the expenditure of the money they are using. There's no marks there. There's, there's no angels. There's no church. It's just checking whether monies are spent. Putting in place systems of accountability. There's nothing ideological in that matter. It's making sure that there's that account. One of the problems, I remember, we put ideology and political partisanships on matters. Countries that are successful, they list issues that all parties must agree upon, that on meaningfulness of the budget, quality expenditure, efficiency, appointing skilled people, making sure that you've got quality institutions, Countries where there's unity amongst parties, in as far as those elements are concerned, those countries are very successful. Sometimes in our country, I find ourselves, we think there's a different ideology to check how much money has been spent. That thing has got nothing to do with ideology. 
if you're going to buy a lifeboat, to check whether it is 20 rand or not. It's not ideological, it's just a mathematical thing. But sometimes we spend time debating that matter as if it's an ideological matter. One of the huge challenges our country is confronted with is that let's list issues that were across the board we work together on. And then you have our political views over and above that. But at least that they say this baseline, all parties must work together. Those issues that you've spoken about, because even if the skills were weak, if the accountability system is functional, the performance of those poor skills could be easily detected if there's collaboration in that area and the elements that I've spoken about. So those are some of the things in the two days that have been actually identified as underlying reason why that J.B. Mark situation you speaking about. Of course, the president said in a short, within two or three weeks, I think, we'll be sitting down to take that matter to conclusion so that we really now intervene and talk less about these issues. Thanks, Honorable Member. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The third follow-up question is from Honorable Lehihi. Thank you, Shepazan. Minister, past efforts at capacity building have been disappointing. As the exit of lack of capacity found in the different sectors, we stand as one of the main constraints to, achieve, to achieving government policy. In order to ensure that outcomes are met in a timely manner, which time frame have been put in place to strengthen planning? monitoring and evaluation of government police. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. As I'm talking to you now, Honorable Member, our teams are in those spaces. One of the things we're trying to improve is the physical, what to call, uh, presence. Uh, Because at a, at a risk of being controversial here. There are municipalities that have got clean audit, yet service delivery is not in line with that. It's one of the matters we have raised with the AG. And it seems as if some of us are learning skills of misleading oversight, what to call institutions. That's why the issue of physical inspection becomes critical. And two, protecting the internal auditors with regard to the autonomy. Honorable members, the reason in various departments you've got internal auditors is to make sure that before the AG comes, your auditors continue to do two things. They do financial audit and performance audit. At the risk of boring you, repeating where I came from, one of the things we did was to make sure that when line function departments report, you ask the internal audit to go and audit the same performance. It happened that, I remember, there was always a gap between what the internal auditors find as performance uh, results as against what the line function department reports. And over years, we told the line function departments, unless you meet the level of 
the outcomes of the financial audit, which is done by internal audit, we're not going to recognize your performance. And over years, AG was able to observe that, that our clean audit was consistent with the service protocol, service delivery. I hope it goes somewhere to respond to your question. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Last follow-up question is from Honorable Lond on a virtual platform. Uh, good day, Honorable uh, House Chair, and uh, good afternoon, Honorable Minister. Um, Minister, all this talk of planning and monitoring and evaluation sometimes is a farce, because after all, we all know that this government is rich on talk, but poverty-stricken on implementation. And like you said yourself, you deploy people that do not always have the skill set. And that's your own words. So maybe that is where the problem starts, that uh, the deployment of unskilled people should not be used in our municipality. Now, you also say that clean audits, it's not always, if you get a clean audit, you get clean or effective service delivery. However, there is a trend of municipalities, um, departments that have better audit outcomes generally deliver better services across the country. There's always exceptions to the rule. So shouldn't you just simply start with the Auditor General reports and make sure in those municipalities where you have deployed unskilled and unqualified people, you stop that practice immediately and make the changes that is required to improve those municipalities for the betterment of those citizens. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Lund. Honourable Minister. Thank you, Honourable Member. At the risk of being misunderstood, and I don't think you misunderstood me, uh, generally, where there are clean audits, there's good service delivery. Maybe it's important to make that point. But there are exceptional instances where people have had a clean audit but when the service delivery is attended to. There's a discrepancy. It's a gap that must be closed. What do we do with unqualified people? Let's stop deploying them. And that's a straightforward answer. I usually say to, well, you can have a branch, political branch led by whether ANC, DA or whoever, if you deploy somebody in local government because he or she happens to be the chair of your branch, the problem with the truth of delivery is that the fact that I'm a chair of a branch or of a zone, whether I'm DA, whether I'm ANC, it doesn't necessarily give me the skills required to be a civil engineer. We've done that risk at times where we've deployed people because of their political positions. And civil engineering, where delivery requires civil engineering, it's only a civil engineer who can deliver that. And the least you can do, even if, although strongly now, which I also support, the move to have people having particular qualification, even deployed as politicians, is becoming very strong. Because if you go to municipality and look at the documents <laughs> that are read there, remember when you are a political, when you are a political principal, it means you were an authority over technical people. 
who are reporting to you performance of the technical thing, which you, you, you don't understand, but you have got the authority over there. So that's why there's a need for balance between the political office. If you do not have these qualifications, an honest politician, the least you can do is to deploy in your office the people who are technically capable so that when you assess the technical work, you take informed decisions. What is a problem is that if I've got my standard three and I come and ask an engineer to come and give a briefing to me when I've got authority over the engineer, what you are putting at risk is the country and the people who are awaiting those services. It is against that articulation, honorable member, where I'm saying, when do we stop deploying people who are unqualified? We must stop now. Thanks. Thank you, Oral Minister. Oral Minister, we now come to question number 33, asked by Honorable Zandamela. Question number 33. Honorable Minister. Can I get water on a chair? My brother. Here you are, Thank you very much. Here you are, <laughs> Thank you, Honorable Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, right. Uh, DPME, who has the government wide mandate for planning, monitoring, and evaluation, supports all spheres of government with capacity development. Several interventions were undertaken to support building public sector monitoring capacity. To this end, the following public sector monitoring interventions were implemented. One, local government management improvement model. A tool being used to support and improve the performance of municipalities, focusing on management practices. Training has been provided to 146 municipalities including metros across the eight provinces, except the Western Cape. They are trained in how to use the tool and have completed the assessments. Development of improvement plans. Development of improvement plans based on the municipal assessment that identify priority areas that require significant improvement and support. Since 2017, there are 25 improvement plans approved by municipal managers and monitored by TPME on quarterly basis. On the frontline monitoring, it's one that enables municipalities to identify challenges that need addressing, improving plans. Improvement plans are then developed in consultation with the relevant stakeholders to address these issues. The current visit underway is on ideal clinics and safe schools. Capacity building training is another element. GPME in 2021 co-hosted a training course on evidence-based policy making and implementation for local government, which was attended by 20 municipalities. In the same year, GPME implemented specific activities to build capacity for evaluations of targeted sectors and local government participation in these interventions. During this financial year, a focus will be on training 
or theory of change in aid metros in order to help strengthen their capacity to inform future planning for capacity building. The GVME will later this year conduct a survey to assess evolution capacity needs of municipalities. The minister and the deputy ministers have been supporting local government through their role as district development model champions. The current work is related to the development of refinement of one of plans which contribute to planning and stakeholder management capacity within the district municipality and municipalities. Thank you. Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first follow-up question is from Honorable Zandamela, who's on the virtual platform. Honorable Zandamela. Honorable Zandamela. No, it's connected. It's there. Honorable Zandamela, can you unmute yourself, please? I'm unmuted. Yes, ask your question. Honorable Zandamela, can you ask your question? No. Jay, if he struggles with the technology, can we take the question, please? Okay. Honorable Zandamela, we are passing you. We'll go to... Chair. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm sorry, Chair. No, Honorable Zanamel is struggling with the network, not technology. That guy must stop talking things he does not know. He starts struggling with the network. If... Oh, no, no problem. Honorable Aplain, you can assist if you have, you have the follow-up question on behalf of Honorable Zanamel. Honorable Aplin? I'm sorry, Chair. I don't have the question. Uh, I don't no. <laughs> okay. Let's move. Thank you. Let's go. Let's move. Let's go to Honorable Sileku. Honorable Sileku. On a Honorable virtual platform. Honorable Chair, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you properly. Uh, what apologies. members? Apologies for the, for the camera. Um, struggling with network and members, let's have order so that the minister can get to the question. Can you continue, Honorable Seleku? Thank you, Chair. First, let me uh, greet the minister and greet the, the chair and greet all the members. Minister, I've been uh, listening to you attentively, uh, answering in terms of uh, the state of municipalities and what needs to be done. And I would just like to to go back to what the president of the country has said about the state of local municipalities and in his capacity as the president of the ANC, that uh, since the local government election in 2021, there has been more municipalities that need uh, intervention in terms of Section 139. And unfortunately, it is ANC-led municipality. Minister, the core function of your department is to plan, monitor, and evaluate. 
Despite all the planning, monitoring, and evaluation in the world, municipalities in South Africa still fall apart like a pack of cards in a gentle breeze. Is it because your department is simply tolerated and largely ignored? Or is it simply because under the grip of the ANC corruption, these municipalities cannot be saved? Also, listening to what you have been saying also that we need to work together and put politics aside and put our residents and country, you know, before. Minister, is it not time that you and your department and your cadres spend serious time with the DA and learn real governance lessons from the 40 municipalities which we govern well in South Africa and all the stats and the AG reports can confirm that. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, he was asking that, is it not the time for uh, all the other municipalities to go and learn from the 40 municipalities that are being run by the DA? That's the essence of his question, Minister. Including him as the Minister. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, uh, if you thought... He was dislodging me. Benchmarking is a is a practice. Mm. Benchmarking is a practice. Mm. Good work, it doesn't matter who does it, it's always important to learn. Mm. Mm. Well, if it makes you feel good by labeling it DA, that's another question. <laughs> but the principle is that benchmarking should always be welcome. Mm. Uh, I, I want to repeat this. You must go and check your record. Uh, because I thought maybe you need to respond to directly. When we were running Ekurulian at some stage, it was declared. Tobek also in terms of financial management, those municipalities were run by the ANC. You must go and check international records on that where it was said these were the best-run municipalities. You will check your record. It's not ANC that said that. It's international institution. The point I'm making is that I insist let's not attach political labels on these matters. Let's discuss capacity that is necessary. And I'm saying benchmarking, we can't fight it. If there's a, there's a municipality of ANC, on a chair, Badly run here, next door there's DA. It's not DA that matter. It is the best way in which the next door municipality is being run. In other words, the tool of improving our people cannot be ignored because it is being used by a particular person. And some of you, by the way, I can tell you, a lot of your top managers, you've taken them from the ANC. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Minister. <laughs> No, they want a lot of money. Thank you. Honorable Zandameda. Honorable Zandameda. Yes. No, thanks, uh, House Chairman. Everything uh, just went off here. Maybe the minister can assist also with regard to this load shedding. Really? 
affecting us when we are in parliament. Now, my question to the to the minister would be a chairperson. We know for the fact that uh, when it comes to capacity, there were there there are some of the managers who were for some reasons maybe expert in a municipality, but they're being recycled in the system to go and be a, a manager in another municipality. What is the department doing with regard to that? Because you, we can't recycle the corrupt uh, the capacity in the system. Thank you very much. Thank you. Honorable Minister? Is that Zandamer? Yeah, that's Zandamer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Honorable Zandamer. I think I like the surname. Uh, I'm sure you you would have heard a few days ago, just on the energy, the president announced the intervention plan, which is widely supported across the country by different sectors, technical institutions and so on. The ball has been thrown back to our quarters government to implement that plan. Everyone now says, okay, that plan is right, implement it. If we come to the recycling of managers, honorable members and other members might know there has been a challenge of implementing SIU findings. And the scope demanded that we report from presidency on a monthly basis. That system has actually, our intervention in that area as we make sure that SIU findings are being implemented. We have discovered a lot of weaknesses in our system. Some of them, somebody would be fired from this department and find himself working in another department. You are dealing with charges of corruption in this department. You get hired in some department. The DPME is actually studying that very close to make sure that we are able to detect those defects because when we do M&E system, the findings are always submitted to relevant departments for improvement. Going forward, one of the things that we are going to use is an improved system in ensuring that GPSA is capacitated to assist with the system of ensuring that there is no recycling of people who have messed up somewhere else. All I'm saying, it needs a system and it means also us improving even the technology that we use to actually detect those issues. I do agree with you. Such experience has occurred and that experience needs to be stopped. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. The third follow-up question is from Honorable... No, it's fine, Honorable Zandamela. You have asked your question. The third follow-up question is from Honorable Pungani. Honorable Hatebe. Okay. Thank you, House Chair. Honorable Minister, the local government sphere comprises of a variety of different needs by communities. I would like to know, how is your department able to monitor and assess the specific needs by communities, and how is the department's approach adapted to suit capacity 
to suit capacity development within local government spheres, especially in relation to traditional leadership. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Thank you very much. Uh, I think your, your question, your follow-up is in line with the question one was trying to answer. Mm-hmm. That uh, we are working with a lot of tools to do exactly what you're saying. Development of improvement plans, local government management improvement model, and also frontline monitoring. And we also spoke about capacity building training, where we say we cost a training course of evidence-based policymaking and implementation for local government, which was attended by 20 municipalities and so on. There's an area where we also say to you, we speak about where we are talking about stakeholders, how we involved traditional leaders in making sure that our interventions are informed by the lived experience of the people for whom those services are made. And once we've done that, when we have findings that actually indicate the uniqueness of different situation with regard to the developmental needs, of course, these interventions that I've articulated here assist, therefore, to capacitate relevant uh, operatives, be they local or province, even national, to actually be geared to respond to the unique needs of those various communities. Of course, one of the things we've just uh, re-established is National Planning Commission, which is beginning to demonstrate that it's alive. I'm sure you must have heard uh, them responding to energy crisis, because National Planning Commission comprises of sorts of different experts who are given autonomy to express their views about the state of the country uh, without fear or what to call or favor and so on. I'm sure when you had them critiquing government, uh, there is nothing that fell. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The fourth follow-up question is from Honorable Moshodi. Honorable Moshodi. Uh, thank you very much, Lord Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister, for your response. Honorable Minister, I am sure you will agree that if planning is flouted from the beginning, to expect monitoring and evaluation to get it right is a pipe dream. More often, at the heart of the challenge of development and service delivery at local government level is poor planning, sometimes not realistic or aligned with the requisite human and financial capital resources, thus raising false expectations to our people. My question, Honorable Minister, is, in this light, has the department, in collaboration with other sector departments, considered partnership with knowledge communities in different critical scale skills areas like built engineering, water resources, infrastructure development, and man- management, special development planning to assist municipality in planning? Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable Shodu. Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chair. <laughs> thank you. I'm trying to 
Just repeat something that I said. All right. Maybe let's start with what the what the honorable member is raising. Uh, the relationship between useful monitoring evaluation and proper planning. Mm. And the need to whether we do make use of sectors that have got available skill to improve that linkage. Well, uh, I think I cannot say it better than you have just said it. Usually there is a, I don't know which verse in the Bible that says, you want to reap where you didn't sow. To expect to monitor and evaluate a plan which is not measurable and realistic, it is also the waste of time of monitoring. Those are some of the things we are looking at. We are already discussing even repositioning the TPME itself to actually place it in a place where, amongst other things, it is actually working different, even DPME. Uh, one of the things one is thinking about is that, has the time not come, for instance, for DPME to acquire some autonomy so that in the amassing of skills and reporting of performance, there is no fear that a minister may not be happy. AG, when they report, you don't care who's going to say what. Once they finish their work, I'm sure you know that they just support. But a department like ours, if it is located in the manner is, it, it is becoming clear that sometimes those who are not strong, maybe like yourself or somebody else, might be very careful in reporting whatever. So we are report, we're, 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 we're talking about repositioning DPME to look, to actually acquire the status of being the most reliable lens through which the entire country follow the performance of the state. Amongst other things, it is also to deal with what you are saying, so that DPME facilitate planning and DPME is able to pronounce whether plans are authentic or not. So that even before, but there's a lot of work that is being done there. Uh, when I was still a member, still in parliament, we, over years, we have been able to convince even AG not to come after math, but to assist in looking at performance plans and make some comments whether these plans do make sense. So in other words, that's the point we are attending to. Thank you very much. Maybe for, for Koten, Honorable Minister, you are still a member. Honorable Minister, we'll now come to question number three, five, asked by Honorable TJ Proud and Seth. Honorable Minister. The DPME has already been engaging with both the National Planning Department of National Plan National Department of Human Settlements and the Guazulu Natal Provincial Department of Human Settlements to resolve some of the binding constraints in the provision of temporary residential units in the different areas in KZN province. The engagements were based largely on the findings from the DPME led joint oversight visit 
with the Director General of the Department of Human Settlement on the 23rd and 4th, May 2022, and the TPMA frontline monitoring visits in four districts from 27 to the 30th of June 2022, which assess progress on the construction of TRUs in eight sites and provision of services in 14 mass care centers. The DPME has noted that while the displaced families were provided with shelter at the mass care centers within days of the flood disaster, there have been delays in the provisions of TRUs. The prolonged stay of people at the mass care centers has brought about new social challenges. The DPME shared the finding of its monitoring activities with relevant authorities in order to facilitate resolutions of identified challenges. Construction of TRUs is, independent, is dependent on finalization of procurement processes, confirmation of viable land parcels for construction of TRUs, and the provision of basic facilities such as water families agreeing to relocate to TRU sites despite them being further away from schools and workplaces, profiling of beneficiaries to ensure that TRUs are provided to the right people. Some of the alternatives recommended by the TPME include requesting the private sector to assist with making land available government to provide guarantees that TRU sites will be phased out once permanent solutions for human settlements are found. Provision of vouchers, stock materials for repair of houses, construction of TRUs in people's original homes. These are some of the alternatives the DPME proposed. Latest data provided by KZN Human Settlement indicates that construction has been completed for 736, uh, of which 683 have been provided to households for occupation. This is in relation to the targeted 1,810 TRUs. You can also see the gap. For instance, as a matter of fact, a Tequini completed, as to, the, to date, 104 completed, Herigwala, 93, Ilembe, 243, Kwechoayo, 40, Mkungundu, 45, Kanyagute, 40, Amachuba, 50, Umzinyati, 50, Tukela, 38, to avoid a situation where families would stay in mass care centers for much longer, the current pace of providing 50 TRUs per week needs to be tripled and grand locks resolved to finalize confirmation of land parcels for resettlement of communities that live in flood-prone areas. DPME will convene an urgent follow-up engagement with Department of Human Settlement, KZN, and the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform, and Rural Development to facilitate resolution of the identified grand locks and to fast-track <coughs> the delivery of human settlement interventions, which not only includes TRU, but also the provisions of support for housing repairs to enable families to exit the mass care center and get back to their homes. All the affected provinces, namely Wazulunatal, Eastern Cape, Northern Cape, and Northern West, 
have been requested to provide progress updates on the human settlement intervention to Natal Joint Flood Coordination Committee to inform decisions. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first follow-up is from Honorable T.J. Proudenser. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, House Chair. Uh, <clears throat> Honorable Minister, Thank you for that response. Um, I think that I think that you might not have all the figures at your disposal uh, because I'm obviously uh, I'm, I'm right now looking down at a report from Human Settlements KZN, and the the figure that was quoted by Human Settlements KZN is four thousand nine hundred eighty-three homeless households. Okay. Um, You have just said, I think, a figure of 736 uh, TRUs built, which leaves us on 4247 that still need to be done. Um, The procurement has been done for 1,180, but only 30% of those have been provided. And in Etigwini, which the Honourable House Chair knows is of great concern to us because we the, the, the mayor there and the deputy mayor have yet to actually meet with us in, in the most affected region. Um, the, 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 only 65 TRUs have been built in Integrity. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, Hush. 65. So the reason I'm raising this <clears throat> is that the face of this is the community halls. Now, I know that other members of the house who are on this committee with me will be horrified. And I mean that, to hear that I visited recently a Mountain View community hall in Verulam, <coughs> where the ministry where there were no less than 400 people residing there. 400. Now, those of us who visited community halls know that the mamas and the sisters, they all pack everything on the side nice and neatly during the day. And the name of the place? It's Mountain View. Mountain View Community Hall in Verulam, Mm. which is just north of Durban. This hall is so full that there are there's no space to pack away the bedding. And and we were there at lunchtime uh, during the day, and I can only imagine what that hall. And it's a normal community size hall, Minister. It's not some big, you know. It's not the RTC, the, the, the the RCC or something. I can only imagine what it looks like at night when there are 400 people there. And, and th- th- this is the outcome. So I-, I welcome, Minister, the fact that you're going to accelerate. But, Minister, can I please ask with everything, every fiber within your soul, that you make sure that that acceleration happens post-fact. Put as much possible pressure as you can on Department of Human Settlements. We have people living in the most abominable conditions. The, the Mountain View... Uh, community hall could actually qualify for a South African Human Rights Commission case. It's that bad. Um, and so we really have to make urgent interventions. But the real issue, other real issue I want to raise with you, uh, Minister, is the cost of the TRUs. We, we hear different, every single time we visit a different a community or a different uh, municipality, they give us a different figure on the TRUs. And I'm very, very concerned, and I've raised this all the way along, that skimming is going along. That certain amounts are allocated for TRUs and are being built at a cheaper rate, 
a substandard rate and skimming is happening. What level of assurance can you give us today that you, along with the AG, are monitoring the the costs of the TRUs and making sure that they are built to spec and built to the right amount? And either that on, on the one end that skimming is not happening, that the other is being built below spec, or that we're paying a lot more for TRUs than we should actually be paying. And I think the quoted figure was 68,000 Rand. So, Minister, what level of assurance can you give us in regard to the acceleration of the housing and also the costing so that we don't sit up with a, another PPE disaster uh, where, where people have gotten involved with corruption? Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Minister. Honourable Minister. Thank you, Honourable Member. Uh, it's, it's always difficult to debate numbers. There must be a wrong number. And I'm not going to say it's your number. At least we can do for credible reporting. We must check where that discrepancy comes from. Remember, it depends sometimes how people count. Others count the household. Others count people in their numbers. It's a matter that we need to check. So I don't want to debate that. All I want to say is the mountain view situation is totally unacceptable. And there are other situations that were of similar nature when our DG DBME visited there on the 23rd and 24th. Those situations, again, don't speak well about our disaster management system. They call for, you'll understand why there's this huge call for what to call, because what we're saying is that when a disaster, when a disaster capacity is in place, some of us who have worked in municipalities, you know, Disaster should be treated like a police squad on daily basis. Police are paraded to check their readiness to combat. Disaster conventional all over, they are supposed to be checked on regular basis. If indeed they are organized and ready and naturally anticipate even cultural issues. If people in this area are displaced, they end up finding themselves away from Medici, how do you manage those issues? Again, dignity, as you have already spoken about. How to make sure that people are not congested in a manner that put their dignity at actual estate. Acceleration, we have no choice. It's a matter that we've got to follow up. Even on the issue of cost discrepancy, we, the, the least we can deal with that, remember I said the real time auditing by AG is on. We have not got a report yet. That gives us alarm. But we, we must be able to ask them if the evidence of what you've just said, or remember, just that does pertain. And then follow it and actually ask the AG to reassure the country in your words the reason why we have AG for that matter. Thanks. Thank you, Honourable Minister. The second follow-up question is from Honourable Detroit. Thank you, Honourable Chair. Honourable Minister, still with the TRUs, obviously, we visited uh, the Dielpan area in the Twaing municipality in the northwest province on the 30th of June this year as part of the, uh, of the ad hoc committee on the floods and disaster. And we, we 
viewed about two or three houses that were still standing in the water. We were told by the HOD that um, 300 houses, TRUs, needs to be built. And the amount of funds that were availed for that is 54.9 million rand. Now, if you do this, the, the equation, that brings it down to 183,000 rand per unit. Where the approved ceiling amount is 78,000 rand. How much money they say is required? The amount that's available is 54.9 million rand for the TRUs for the Northwest province in Delpan. That's for 300 units. So the cost per unit or the amount per unit is 183,000 rand. Now we inquired about this and the HOD said that he would give the relevant documentation again when we had the, the, the meeting in Santon. Uh, the same question was was raised, and we were again promised a report on the housing uh, situation in Delpan with regards to the TIUs. And up to now, I haven't received anything, and according to my knowledge, on our uh, mailing list of the disaster group, it hasn't been yet circulated to the members. My question, uh, Minister, is will you commit to follow up on this and to see what the current situation is? Because on the 30th of June, not one TRU was built. 30th of June? Yes. This year. We went for oversight visits, but we didn't see one unit that was built. I know the roads are disastrous, but uh, funds were availed for that as well. So if you could commit to, to follow up and give us feedback, it would be appreciated, please. Thank you, Honourable Minister. The least you can do is to follow up. Thanks, Abusha. Thanks, Abunamba. Thank you, Minister. The next follow-up question is from Honorable Chai. Honorable Chai. No, thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair, and thanks uh, to the Minister. Uh, Minister, <clears throat> my question would be the President. Uh, with regard to financial accountability, uh, came up with the concept of a real-time audit. Um, I just want to find out uh, whether we, we should not also have a real-time performance monitoring um, that will be happening on a daily basis so that uh, the, the delays and challenges that are faced by people, particularly in KZN, who are in what you call the mass centers uh, can be can be addressed uh, immediately, but also <clears throat> whether the capacity that is in DPME uh, cannot also be sent down uh, to provinces uh, to assist in the provinces and the municipalities uh, that are affected. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Thank you, Honorable Hi, Honorable Minister. Uh, real-time AG and real-time monitor. I, I think at the beginning, it's what, it's, what, it's what we're trying to do. Remember, the, the first visit there was together with the president. Two days later, the PME team uh, was sent. Again, he, the, the, you know, um, there are instances where you are not sure whether line function money, line function leaders understand the purpose of MNE the same way anyone else is supposed to understand. I remember 
as a project, I was going to visit the North with my team in TPME. One colleague said, that is my area of work. And I had to say to this colleague, no, that is, I'm going to, I'm not going to do your work there. I'm going to do mine. So those are some of the things that we need to clear that. If I come, for instance, to a bridge that has been constructed, it's not because DBME is building that bridge. DBME has a legal duty to, to actually, as an independent institution, to check if the implementation execution and funds that are implemented are as the plans that are before the president. So your, 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 your point is taken, but again, it, it still goes back. Can you imagine if the disaster management systems, for instance, the MNE of the disaster is not similar to any other MNE. You, you, you wish the MNE system of disaster is, is inbuilt so that it doesn't depend on an institution coming to fall. It's independent and uh, inherently built MNE system so that as the crisis comes in, you automatically reflect on the MNE side. The situation is the unfold. And actually, again, digitization and many other things will go a long way. So I, I think your point is taken. We tried, but we think I think it can be organized differently and better. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Minister. The fourth co- follow-up question is from Honourable Lehihi. Honourable Lehihi. Right at the back. Yeah, which measures has the minister put in place to ensure that beneficiaries will receive houses allocated to them within reasonable time? And which steps shall be taken to ensure that temporary residential units, which are, which are only intended for short periods of time, do not become permanent features? Thank you. Honorable Minister. Uh, I think to a greater extent, one has responded to that question, except the last point where what measures are there to make sure that those are not permanent structures. Remember, in our opening, we spoke about the availability of land, how far from the original house, and all those kind of things. What role can private sex? It actually calls for a lot of things, depending on the damage of the house, and some systems, uh, you might have heard or remember the president speaking about the red tape. Uh, one thing that we are very weak at is our responsiveness. Our system has to improve in time. I'll, I'll give you an example. For instance, we are going to cabinet Likuta very soon. Other plans emerge out of that that within a year, we must carry A and get over and done with it. And only realize as we concretize the plan that there's a need for legislative amendment for a plan whose effect must be this year. You find that legislative amendment take three years. There's a lot of such situations. Even now, as we speak, uh, the president, the, the plan the president has put together might require that certain regulations 
be actually be removed so that that which must impact in energy within 18 months does it in 18 months. But you find that to change that regulation, there's, a, there's an act I came across. I think it's coming to Parliament. I just can't remember. And this bill has been there since 2005. I mean, so those are some of the things that we really need to deal with. Otherwise, you, we're becoming a joke in terms of being a reliable institution to deal with the immediate issues that are affecting people. So there's a need for overhauling our system so that our system help us to respond timelessly to issues. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Honourable Minister, we now come to question number 45, asked by Honourable Dango. Honourable Minister, your last question of the day. Yes, yes. Yeah. You. <laughs> I was I was already looking forward to seven PM. <laughs> Thanks, Member uh, Member Dango. Repositioning of the PCC, the Presidential Coordinating Council, is an intergovernmental coordinating board that comprised the president, Premier Salga, with the Metro mayors in attendance, and is managed by the Minister of Corporate Government and Traditional Affairs. This structure is complemented by other intergovernmental bodies, such as Premier Coordinating Forum at the provincial level and coordinating structures supporting the district business, the district development model. This structure is strategically positioned to address several dual issues and other matters of national interest. The council has been inundated with matters relating to water supply, drought, electricity supply, sanitation, transport matters, state of local government, implementation of the back to basics program, district developmental district development model approach, and other range of service delivery matters, such as well as progress on the implementation of National Development Plan, as translated in our MTSF. The country has just gone through a serious pandemic and related lockdown. To manage that, integrated governance structures had to be implemented to stabilize the country and ensure recovery. Many in the country have reflected and commented on the efficiency and the efficiency and effectiveness of structures put into place to protect country and bring it back to stability. With those structures having been dissolved, there's a push to infuse the learnings of that period into normal governance and intergovernment structures. The country is looking into how to infuse an efficient and a collaborative intergovernmental uh, looking into how to infuse an efficient and collaborative intergovernmental system into managing the day-to-day delivery and developmental challenges. A key structure supporting the PCC is the district development model that is being rolled out to create a solid foundation for an optimal and efficient intergovernmental system. It is envisaged that DDM having the one plan will facilitate efficient and effective service delivery issues with respect to bulk water supply, scum crisis, public transport crisis, especially the passenger rail 
transport and crime and security. Coordinating at the district level will also enable an upward flow of information from DDM to the Premier's Coordinating Forum, to the President's Coordinating Council at the apex of the system. Alignment and seamless integration across different levels will result in visible impacts on the important delivery and developmental challenges, such as stabilizing and optimizing the grid and the water and sanitation system and its catchment areas, etc. This impact will require improvement at each level of the system. To this end, improvements are now being explored with respect to Premier's coordinating forum in each province and the President coordinating council at apex of the system with the impetus of the implementation of the DGM and the ongoing conversation results should become evident in the short time if these interventions are implemented. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first follow-up question is from Honorable Dango, Ambassador. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister, for your response, which inspires hope in our people about the capacity of our governance system to reinvent itself in pursuit of a better quality of life for all. Ah, the mechanisms in place to ensure the integrity of the reports from the provinces and local government to the national government, especially as they relate to the policy impact on the lives of our people. Minister, on a separate matter, I'm sure you'll join me as we wish the Honorable Sileko happy birthday. It's his birthday today. And hope that as he transitions from an illiberal liberal to a neocon, that has benchmarking in place. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Honorable Django. Don't spoil it, Ambassador, please. Honorable Seleko, it's one of those that we're asking you. Honorable Seleko. It's on the virtual platform. It's one of those that ask a follow-up Thank you, Honorable Seleko. That is it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Honorable Dango. What, what a way to respond to a question of one of my mentors. And uh, I'm trying to stand up straight and be careful how I respond <laughs> to the question because I suspect he will check whether his teachings uh, did uh, <laughs> indeed <laughs> go down. Thank you, Honorable Dango. Uh, the question you're asking is, is there a system to ensure that at a, at a provincial level, the reports that are submitted do have the credibility? I, I think when we say, for instance, you spoke yourself about provincial coordinating council. We also reflect on premier's coordinating forum. We also reflect on the develop, develop, district development model as a number of measures to integrate uh, government. You know, you will be shocked to realize how a lot of cost in South Africa comes from silo mentality. How a lot of failures come from silo mentality. A lot of inefficiencies come from silo mentality. For instance, 
If you look at the district development model, I spent time at Herigwala, where I'm the champion. You look at what it can achieve. You find that a project is not implemented, which is required by local government, because a particular resource they do not have, which the provincial government does have. But that project is put aside and the skill is around the corner from the province. National has that resource. Some of these things don't need even a new budget. If you can look at a number of resources that you require for a given project and how a number of them have been badly implemented and how is that related and attributed to the basic thing of working seamlessly. Uh, if you get my report, I hope uh, DA will take this into account. There's a number of interventions, one or two, when I read here. The DBM says we'll go to eight, we'll go to eight provinces. And you find that the province which is not there is a DA-led province. And I'm saying there is no contradiction because in our constitution, there, there are national competences, exclusively national. There are those which are cooperative in line with Section 3. There are those that are exclusive to a sphere. But what is interesting, all these things, when we implement them, we implement them in a common node. The, 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 the fact that a particular development in a particular area is led by DA doesn't change that there are national implications in executing that program. If that relationship is not actually taken care of, what fails is the project purely by not doing what is basic, coordination. For instance, if you say you want to build a clinic here in this node, and let's say that's a provincial or a a competence, but there are regulations or laws or there are authorities that must be approved, that that there are approvals that require national, what to call, national approval. You find that the project is it's waiting because you don't want to work with national because national happened to be a different part. Or maybe national decides to play games because those who are leading in that local area happen to be a different party. Those are the things when I said there are things this country must be able to put together and say, in as far as these areas of work are concerned, let's commit to nonpartisanship. Because you'll find that 80% of the, of the, of the strictures of development come from that, those basic issues. I'm trying, Honorable Chair, to make a case that let's liberate our country from silo mentality. Let's benefit our country through seamlessness in working together because there's a speed there, there's quality and uh, there's predictability. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The second follow-up question is from Honorable Mutsamai, who's on the virtual platform. Honorable Mutsamai. Honorable Mutsamai. Okay. We'll move. 
The next follow-up question, Honorable Minister, is from Honorable Hatebe, who's in the house. Honorable Hatebe. Honorable House Chair, Honorable Minister, it is very well to strategically reposition the Presidential Coordinating Council. However, the ministers responsible for the above-mentioned issues are not effecting change within an acceptable time frame. I would like to know, according to the Minister of Water and Sanitation, we lose up to 60% of bulk water supply due to dysfunctional infrastructure. How does the repositioning of the PCC support capacity building in addressing the issues of water loss throughout the country? Thank you. Thank you. Honourable Minister? Yeah, well, well, I think that, that follow-up is a very... You, you would want a follow-up like that after such a torture. <laughs> uh, if, if there's one area where there is a significant intervention which is beginning to be demonstrated is in the water. You go to Machabe, you go to... What are those sort of names? Uh, says Pofu, what, what? Maluti Apofu, Harry Smith, and so on. That department under Minister Nkunu and DG Sean Phillips is one of the departments, in my view, recently that are beginning to show. When plans are in place and when times are respected, when planning is in order, there's a difference that you're going to make. So I, I think what we need to do is to ask the minister to come and do progress support. I remember I was in Guyana at some stage. I, I was not there about water. Remember in Guyana, there's a dam there which has got no reticulation. People are, who are around don't have water, but there's a, there's a dam with water around. That pattern applies in a number of areas. People said to me, I was, I was not there for water. They said to me, please tell the minister of water. We see a difference. That is taking place here now. All, all what I'm saying is that the difference is that they see work that is being done. Whether that work is delivered water now is a different issue. All I'm saying is that that question that you've raised is in an area where Honorable Chair, I would strongly advise call the Minister of Water. You can get better report in his institutional changes that is taking place and the, how the what is called national strategy. Water, uh, water infrastructure agency that was tabled in the cabinet. It was yesterday to actually send it for consultation to make sure that there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a central planning with regard to analyzing, detecting water resources and also putting infrastructure in a more integrated way. Because if there's one thing you cannot afford not to have is water. And I think why it is important. I'm from uh, in the Eastern Cape, where I was born in Nobu. I mean, sometimes my own rural town doesn't have water. But uh, within the town, there is water that has never gone. With, there's a river that has never gone without water. Uh, it's called Nojan. I asked, how, how, do, how, how does it happen that when there's such a perennial river? In my, in, in my area, in that rural area, there's, I can list the rivers there that have never gone without water. 
which are, are, are from the mountain. But it happens that we do not have water. And this intervention now that the minister is actually doing on the agency for water infrastructure and integration in securing water, making it secured, available, clean. That intervention, I think the minister, if he comes here, he can put you in a better light. But I want to reassure you, that's the area where interventions are beginning to excite. It's going to be a long road, but there's clarity that, uh, so one of the most important things is that the way they are intervening, even if you don't have water now, you can see where they are intervening. A difference is being made. Thank you, Honorable Shen. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The last follow-up question is from Honorable Prudence. Honorable TJ. <laughs> Thank you, House Chair. Uh, House Chair, um, Minister. Minister, with the recent establishment of the National Energy Crisis Committee, NECOM, and the fact that your ministry does not account to a portfolio committee in Parliament, will you support the DA proposal of a parliamentary ad hoc committee to oversee the work of NECOM, given the grave dangers that the continuing energy crisis poses to the Republic? Thank you. Honourable Minister... And I call you TJ. Honorable <laughs> <laughs> TJ. Honorable TJ. Uh, I'm not going to say how it should be done, whether there's a committee. I am a fan of accountability. Even in my party, they know. When it comes to accountability, I've said it several times, even to the organization, that those of us who are deployed as members here in Parliament, are not deployed to be the subcommittees of those who are in the executive. And I want to state that point. They are deployed to make sure that even the party programs that are being implemented by us who are in the executive are implemented. So to me, Honorable Chair, I would support any accountability whose intention is to make sure that those interventions which must make change in the lives of our people are actually realized. How you do it, I'm not going to be involved, but I will always be on the side of the effective accountability, effective oversight. I was a chair recently. Yes, I know, Honorable Chair, I'm a member of parliament. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. (laughs) I've said it when I was a chair of the portfolio committee, which I'm no longer now. I used to say to the minister, who worked together very well, Minister Zul, and that actually delivered improved audit findings and so on, that oversight must never be a tool of conflict. It must Mm. always be treated as a tool of accountability. Once you understand it from that context, you are not going to say, because this is my minister from the ANC, I'm not going to make him account. Because if you don't make a minister not to account because it's from your past, you are, you are actually, you are actually, you, you become, you become a traitor to your very people you claim to be here to represent. So all I'm saying to you, anything, any oversight which improves delivery performance in this country, I'm not going to be involved whether its name is James or Dixon. I'll, I'll support. Thank you very much. Thank you.
I can assure you, Minister, that once you have Honorable Nana clapping hands, then it means we are really accounting in this house. <laughs> uh, honorable members, we have come to the end of the question to the Minister in the Presidency, Honorable Ngungubel. I'd like to thank the Honorable Minister for availing yourself to answer question in the National Council of Provinces. Thank you, Honorable Minister. So we are released from the podium. Thank you, Honorable Ngungubele, Honorable Minister. You know, <laughs> it's very interesting uh, when you have members. Uh, you know, Honorable Minister, why others are saying, because he's here physically. Yesterday, the Honorable Member was having a birthday. We're dealing with the Minister of Court. <laughs> so he said that the Minister is absent. So today, it's he who's asking. He's on the virtual platform. So it's very interesting. <laughs> so we're going to join him to celebrate a birthday. We're wishing you many more years, Honorable Sileku. Uh, happy birthday, Honorable Sileku. I'll now call upon Honorable Minister for Women, Youth, and Persons with Disabilities to respond to question number 39 asked by Honorable Ndongeni, whilst at the same time inviting my house chair, another mama. Honorable Minister, question number 39 asked by Honorable Ndongeni on the virtual platform. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chair, and uh, to Honorable Members and Honorable Minister and Members of the House. The Department is collaborating with other line departments, provinces, and local government structures in advancing gender mainstreaming across uh, policies, programs, and their other day-to-day work. Towards this end, the department is using several and different uh, mechanisms to reach uh, as widely as possible officials in the different departments. The most important mechanism is that uh, is led by the Director General who initiates one-on-one meetings with individual DGs, including provincial DGs, and sets the way for the officials to thereafter engage. This is being a barren fruit, but given the number of institutions that we are having to engage with. It is a long-winded and protected effort. The department has also been developing MOUs with different departments and institutions with the, and, and we, we signed some 
MOUs. For example, with the Department of Agricultural Development and, and Land Reform, Transport, Human Settlements, to mention just but a few. The department holds regular meetings with national uh, departments and provinces on gender mainstreaming. We are uh, confident that uh, we will be making progress and engaging with individual line departments on mainstreaming and specific, uh, mainstreaming on specific issues. To cite just a few, on the issue of climate change, environment, waste, uh, management, ocean economy, we are engaging with different sections of the Department of Forestry, Fisheries, and Environment. We do so similarly with the other land function departments. On the issue of gender-responsive planning, budgeting, monitoring, evaluation, and uh, auditing, we welcome with the, we work and collaborate with the DPME and Treasury, and we work with all the departments and provinces providing workshops on the workshop, on the uh, framework. We are also working with SALGA on providing uh, to different provincial councillors workshops on Colombia framework so that mainstreaming can be fostered and uh, even at the municipality level. The department has developed gender-responsive planning, budgeting, monitoring, evaluation, auditing uh, framework, which is adopted by cabinet, was adopted by cabinet in uh, 2019. It is a tool for mainstreaming across the different levels of government. The department is currently also engaged on developing overarching national mainstreaming strategy, which outline guidelines means and for mainstreaming within specific sectors. This also includes the work we are undertaking on mainstreaming and gender-responsive budgeting across the planning and budgeting cycle of government in collaboration with National Treasury and DPME, especially on the development of framework of the GRB and with all the guidelines. I say this emphasizing that these efforts are directly responding to the recommendations uh, emerging from the women's updated Women's Charter 2021. I submit, Chair. Thanks very much, uh, Minister. I would like also to remind uh, Minister and the members that, Minister, you've got five minutes and uh, members got two minutes. I'll now uh, ask Honorable Dongeni to do the follow-up question. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister, for your elaborate answer to my question. It is very encouraging to hear about the cooperation between your department 
and other departments and institutions. The signing of MOUs with some departments is also very encouraging. My question is, is there any intention and timeframes to sign MOUs with outsiding, outsiding departments? Uh, Honorable member, if I got the question correctly, is we want this mainstreaming, gender mainstreaming, to be not just with government, but also make sure that the private sector also support this initiative because it is important. And as I said earlier on, very much in line with the updated Women's Charter review that we had just adopted through this house. Uh, So work is going on in that manner. Thank you, Honourable Minister. I would now uh, like uh, to call the follow-up question from Honourable Baha. Um, thank you, thank you, House Chair. Uh, Minister, the indicators that you mentioning do not seem to be changing the difficult, harsh realities lived by women every day. It seems that the department ticks boxes and evaluates instead of real differences in people's lives. How can you make the indicators into something real instead of something on paper? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. When we deal with issues of women, youth, and persons with disabilities, we're dealing with a sector of vulnerable people that has been with us for years. So we are not about to start sticking the boxes. We are making a call to all society, to all communities, to all members of parliament to come in, join in, and let's all get used to responding in reality and not in ticking the box. That's why it, under normal circumstances, it would have, have not been necessary even to go further, to sign MOUs, to do this and that. But we really are trying to inculcate the, the, the culture of realizing that this is a reality that we really have to look at and implement in line with the mandate of the department. Thank you, Honorable Minister. I'll now call a Honorable T. Aplin for the follow-up question. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Uh, Minister, striving for gender equality in our society has become a critical issue, yet there still exist numerous gender uh, equality policy implementation changes which are as a result of leaders not being accountable, responsible, and committed to gender equality initiatives. Minister, will mechanisms 
developed also include the prevention and elimination of violence and harassment in the workplace? If so, please provide us with okay. Thank you. Thanks, Honorable uh, Member. Minister? Honorable Member, we really cannot agree with you more. All of us in the House, in our communities, the entire society, we have to put hands uh, on the uh, our shoulders on the wheel to make sure that we do away with patriarchy. We do away with toxic masculinity. We do away with the notion that we all have a responsibility to work together to make sure that that which we wish and that which will be good for for a society of a country of more than 52% of the population that they also get their happy day someday as we work together. It is a problem of society. The department is leading, but the department leads a lot of positive noises, not only for from women, because these challenges affect women, but also the entire society. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, we are now on the fourth uh, follow-up follow question uh, from uh, NM, Honorable M. M. Hatebe. You can continue, Honorable Member. Um, Thank you. I, I was not aware, Honorable Member, but uh, I, I think uh, the table can help. It's fine. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, the matters of gender equality within our public sector workplace is very important, especially as the change of attitude towards women will be able to filter down into our local communities. I would like to know how has your department engaged at local government levels to provide understanding and consultation with the relevant departments to fully understand any proposed policies in this regard. Thank you. Thanks very much, Pungan. Uh, thank Honourable you very Minister. Much. Thank you very much, Honourable Minister. Uh, Honourable uh, Member and Chair, as we were celebrating history of Banyana Banyana bringing back the trophy global world cup to south africa 
we were harshly reminded that they earn 10 times less than what their counterparts get. We're working together with the Department of Public Service and Administration to make sure that the, there is equality in the work men and women or employees do, they get equal pay. Sometimes it's under notches, sometimes it's uh, this and that. We are on a journey to correct the wrongs of our past. This uh, anomaly that Honorable Member had referred to is not only in uh, the municipalities, but also starting from national level. We really have a lot of work to do. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Uh, we now come to the question that have been asked uh, to, by Honorable Baha to you, Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Uh, the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide has been infused into the annual performance plans of the department and resourced within the existing baselines of their budgets. Meaning that every department has a responsibility to make sure that we implement the NSP of the GBF of the first summit on gender-based violence and femicide. The department coordinates and monitors the implementation thereof. Monthly reports, uh, progress reports, are being facilitated from all government departments and sent to the president. Progress on uh, implementation is reported to the president in all clusters of the director generals. The director generals provide strategic guidance and leadership uh, collectively to uh, upscale interventions and address blockages, if any. A critical role uh, that the department is pursuing is that of coordinating the establishment of rapid response teams across the country. These structures play a vital role of preventing and responding to issues of gender-based violence and femicide in the district and local level. We are now uh, implement, uh, invited gladly to work through also the district development uh, mechanism, DDMs. Currently, the department is leading the process of developing a year two of the NSP of the gender-based violence and implementation progress report. The report is premised with pillar one of the NSP on accountability. It gives an account on achievements in each pillar, challenges, lessons, and 
to improve the on, on interventions and uh, recommendations. The department has developed a, a comprehensive national prevention strategy uh, that is designed to proactively predict, combat, mitigate gender-based violence and femicide by integrating primary, secondary, tertiary, and tertiary violence prevention. The strategy explicitly targets anyone in South Africa who is facing or is at risk of experiencing violence due to uh, uh, the gender, women, youth, children, and LGBTQIA plus community uh, people with disabilities. Prevention strategy is set out to intentionally transform the structural foundation of GBVF uh, across provincial, local uh, spheres. It seeks to strengthen the national uh, delivery capacity to roll out evidence-based prevention programs, further addressing harmful social and gender norms that lead to gender-based violence. Finally, it proposes to proposes concretely uh, to bring about measures to prevent gender-based violence and femicide. We say this truly ashamed of what has happened in Krukasdorp a few days ago. That's why when I started uh, uh, with my intervention chair, I said we need the entirety of society to make this history. It was very, very painful. Thanks, Honorable Minister. Sorry, House Chair. Can I just check on a point of clarity, please? Honorable JJ. Can can the minister just reply just repeat what is the um competition that Banyana Banyana won? I just want to make sure what she said. I- well, it was uh, uh, on all media platforms. Banyana Banyana well won the World Cup. Uh, Afcon World. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Won the Afcon World Cup. Football World Cup. <laughs> it's not World Cup. Uh, okay. Okay. No no, no. 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 That's hilarious. No, honorable members, you don't have to speak. If I didn't give you the permission to speak, please. Africa Cup. Uh, Africa Cup, yes. Honorable members, we are continuing with our question number 36. The follow-up question number one is honorable Baha. No, thank you, Chairperson. Um, it was the AFCON, uh, it's Women's African Cup of Nations uh, Minister, not the World Cup. Um, thank you, um, Chair. Let me 
get to my question. Minister, in your media statement, um, uh, media statement response to the release of the fourth quarter crime statistics by SAPS, you expressed outrage and concern numerous times, but no solutions. What I would like to know from you, Minister, um, is whether there are any interdepartmental agreements with the SAPS. What are the set targets and how many of these targets have been met? And if they have not, who is to blame for this? Thank you, House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member, Honorable Minister. Uh, Honorable Chair, we, the leaders of South Africa, have all have a responsibility, in particular the department, under the Honorable President, Ramaphosa, uh, who had appointed a, an interministerial commission, which includes us, the police, DPSA, social development, treasury, and uh, to, to work together to make sure that we keep working with all of our society to make sure that we make this history. I did say when I started, we are fighting patriarchy. It has not been easy. That's why we're making a call to all progressive men and women to join the call. Thanks, Honourable Minister. We continue, Honourable Members, which are our follow-up question number two. That uh, is going to ask by Honourable Chabili. Um, thanks, uh, uh, thanks, Honourable. Uh, thank you, Honourable uh, Minister, for your response to the question. Gender-based violence is still very high in our society, as witnessed by the recent gang rape of eight women by the so-called Zamazamas. Are there any positive results coming from the different intervention strategies that are implemented by the government to deal with this um, pandemic, gender-based violence? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. The way uh, GBVF is rampant in South Africa, it has been declared by our president as the second pandemic when we're entering the the, the, uh, 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 COVID-19. Almost every household in urban and rural areas have a story to tell. Groups, LGBTQI community, we all say so. Therefore, it becomes uh, difficult to take stock of progress or even acknowledge progress because one woman abused is one woman too many. What we have been informed is that in not less than three hours every day, a woman or a girl child is abused raped, maimed, or killed. This 
really indeed has to come to an end. But yes, there are positive results coming from the different interventions uh, in implementations by, uh, 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 by government. Across the six pillars of the NSP, of the gender-based violence and, and femicide, we have seen improvements. In increases in wider ownership of the NSP priorities across uh, are, are being observed across the participating multi-stakeholders, including uh, prioritization of gender-based violence uh, and femicide by government during the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly during the lockdown. The accelerated accountability is even uh, is bringing in a, a prevention where there is now comprehensive national gender-based violence and femicide prevention strategy. There are interventions uh, implemented by the police, such as closure of illegal liquor stores. This initiative is critical to ensuring that we break the linkages between alcohol and gender-based violence. The strengthened legislative and environment has ensured that the criminal justice system becomes victim-centric and that it addresses perpetrators' impunity. In terms of response, care and support, there is concerted effort to support civil, uh, civil society organizations uh, to come to the party, and they do, providing support in gender-based violence uh, and femicide services. Economic cluster departments have heeded the call to drive the socioeconomic empowerment agenda. Women, uh, Women's Economic Assembly Wakona was launched and in this uh, currently it is functional and we are cascading it from national to provinces, and our wish is that it should go down to the local municipalities. I thank you. Thank you, Honourable Minister. The next follow-up question is going to ask by Honourable Dibrain. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Honourable Minister, how many centres for victims of gender-based violence is currently operational countrywide, where women can report abuse and get interdicts and legal help if it's necessary? And how accessible are these centres to all, all the communities? And are there any new centres being planned for the future? Thank you. Thanks, Honourable Member. Minister? Thank you. Thank you, Chair. We have committed through the National Development Plan and also through the UN uh, that uh, the... the, the, the uh, that by 2030, we will have made strides. The how many as in numbers should first start with the how do we change? How do we turn around the, our lifestyles and be counting how many women are living 
without fear and walking the streets. Our girls and women and women with disabilities without fears of being uh, you know, treated otherwise by those men I refer to as having toxic masculinity. We are focusing on not emphasizing on uh, victims, yes, victims, but also survivors. They must get uh, uh, shelters temporarily, but the need is, uh, as Minister of Housing and the municipalities and what I have been saying, permanent, strong, durable of accommodation so that we can limit this anomaly. I thank you. Thanks very much, uh, Honorable Minister. The next follow-up question is going to ask by Honorable Mutsamai. Uh, Minister, gender-based violence Rebona is senior to Kelo Sabatu Borato bo o bo kopang ke se ke kare ke borato bo re boratang le mo president wa rena o thombile ka go thoma se tlopa shumo sa di ministera tse tla tse di ministries o ba di khoro tse tlhano tse di tlhokomelanang le tlhokofatso ya basadi Department Public Works ke gore basadi ba khwetse go itirela ba gone go ba participants in the economic well-being of this country ke ka ba ka leo ibileng gape go dirulwe go eletswe ke yena moeta pele wanaga gore 40% ya procurement ya musho e biele ka thukwana Thanks very much, Honorable Minister. Honorable Minister, we are now on question number 40 uh, that we have asked by Honorable M.N. Gilliam. The department has been in the forefront 
in advocating and promoting the representation of women in science, engineering, and technology uh, sector, uh, briefly known as SAT. We have been working with different line functions, uh, departments on different initiatives to promote the participation and representation of women in science, engineering, and technology sectors. Through our monitoring process, we can highlight that the DSI targeted uh, postgraduate bursaries are funding the, to support women and young and emerging researchers has funded 359 or 64% of women out of 562 grant holders. The demographic uh, targets for black, uh, let me say African in particular and black uh, specifically, 80% and women, 55% students supported were exceeded at honors and master's level, but at the doctoral level, more needs to be done to achieve equity in this distribution of bursaries, uh, scholarships, and fellowships. We are urging them to address this issue. There has been 29% of the innovation fund allocation to PIC awarded to women. The Techno Girls Initiative is one of the programs which is collaboration between UNICEF, our department, the Department of Basic Education, the State Information Technology Agency, and OSU Consulting as the implementing partner. This project aims specifically to promote girls' participation and learning in science, technology, engineering, mathematics uh, fields, in which boys constantly outperform girls in South Africa. Candidates are selected from the uh, countries, the countries under-resourced communities on the basis of the academic merits. This is to ensure that girls have even equal opportunities to excel in fields that is needed within the economy. The Techno Girl is an initiative of sh uh, job shadowing uh, program for girls with particular bias towards STEM careers. There is a national steering committee uh, on women in the green economy est uh, established among the key uh, government departments and organizations in the private sector. This sector is led by the department in collaboration with the DTIC. The committee includes the Department of Science and Innovation as well as women in the uh, automotive sector, women in the engineering fields, women in chemicals and other science-related areas. In this committee, there is 
uh, engagement on representation of women in the different sectors as well as focus on economic opportunities for women. This covers science, engineering, and technology sectors as well. The department also elaborates the, with the, uh, collaborates with the Department of Science and Innovation, Higher Education and Training and Basic Education on mainstreaming gender issues into their programs of work. The department also plays a key role in value add to draft white paper on science, technology, and innovation. The inputs from the department focus on issues regarding representation, participation, and empowerment of women in the sector. Uh, we report that the final uh, Your time is finished, Honorable Member. Remember, okay. you've got five minutes. Okay. Uh, honorable members, I'll call uh, Honorable Gillian to do the first follow-up uh, question. Thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister, for the comprehensive response to my question. It is encouraging to hear about the different programs that the government has embarked upon to expand the representation and participation of women in the science, engineering, and technology sector. Are there any time frames, Minister, in place aimed at reaching equal participation? Honourable Minister. Thank you, Honourable Chair and Honourable Member. We have made commitments, as I said, to uh, uh, our own uh, NDG, but also we are working towards target dates of 50-50 gender parity by 2030 as the determined globally in the UN Agenda 2030 and the SDGs by 2030. However, we are calling for collab- uh, acceleration of equality in participation and access by women in all spheres of life. Thank you, Honorable Minister. I would like now uh, to call Honorable N.M. Khatebe. Second follow-up question. Thank you, Chair. Honorable Minister, in 2021, only 35% of learners enrolled in metric wrote the final maths exams. Only 20% of the learners enrolled passed these exams. This dismal figure is largely contributed to by a lack of teachers within the SCT sector. I would like to know, what is your department doing to ensure that women and persons with disabilities are being given additional support in order to be able to competitively feature within the SCT sector? Thank you. Thanks, Honorable Member. Minister? We have a responsibility not only as the department, but all other uh, colleagues in cabinet, in particular basic education, but not only that, 
the communities to make sure that our children do go to school and do complete that which they said they were coming to school for, but also make it safe for girl children to walk the streets of South Africa and acquire the requisite skills that their country needs. I thank you. Thanks, Honorable Minister. The next follow-up question is A. Arnold EFF. Honorable Arnold. Yes. You can continue. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you, uh, I'll say person. Uh, Minister, um, what reasons lie behind the slow pace of transformation in gender representation of women in the science, engineering, and, and technology sector? And what efforts have been made to address the challenges faced by women and girls in this sector, especially in the rural areas. Thank you. Thanks, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister. Thank you, Honourable House Chair. The same challenge we have and we've always had, which we have to bury. Release the hand, the other end of a girl child not to be responsible for everything in the household, including making sure that they also uh, perform at uh, the level we want them to perform academically. We have to make a call to all South Africans, starting with honorable members, that it is our responsibility, it's our call. The department is there to work with all of us to make sure that as we have already started under President Ramaphosa and even earlier, make sure that we we do not leave anyone behind, particularly girl children. Leave no one behind as we rebuild with resilience, particularly this August month, Women's Month, and beyond. Thanks, Honorable Minister. I would now like to call uh, the fourth uh, follow-up question that is going to ask by Honorable Christians. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ashley Person. Um, Honorable Minister, in South Africa, only 13% of graduates leaving tertiary institutions with qualifications in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are women. Women remain underrepresented in these critical disciplines in which South Africa continues to experience skills shortages. Now, this disparity points to a lack of opportunity. And Minister, in many ways, women could be the answer to this um, shortage. What level of support is your department giving young girls to complete school, as this seems to be the major contributing factor? Additionally, Minister, I know that you've mentioned 
that you have rolled out some programs, but what exactly is your department doing with negative gender stereotypes, environmental circumstances of women, and negative social belief systems that prevent girls from reaching their full potential? Thank you, Ask Chairperson. Thanks very much, Minister. Uh, thank you very much, House uh, Chair and Honourable Member. This challenge, besides the efforts that I have enlisted earlier on, uh, with, with which we are endeavouring on, even on signing MOUs with sister departments who are serving with us in the same government, and uh, making sure that in the special uh, sectors, uh, the SCT, working together with the Department of Basic Education and Science and Innovation, we continue encouraging young women to excel. But not only that, but to also give them support, not only by pushing, but by also making sure that we give a helping hand to make sure that we turn around as we bury the patriarchy and leave no one behind as we strengthen the hand of resilience of the South African women. In line with what women in this country have done in 1956 and even much earlier, we are not afraid. We are having a need to be supported to do what women can do best. And the department is not shy to work with all our communities to make sure that 50-50 is achieved in our lifetime. I thank you. Thanks very much, Honorable Minister. Uh, Honorable Minister, now we are going to number question number 25 that has been asked by Honorable Lee. Minister? The economic cluster departments have developed initiatives and created opportunities to be explored by persons with disabilities. And in this financial year, 2022, the department will host an economic summit for persons with disabilities to, amongst many other explore the low uptake and participation of persons with disabilities in the current economic initiatives. Uh, that's what we are busy with, uh, Chair. Thanks very much, Minister. Uh, we are coming now to follow-up number one that is going to be asked by Honorable Lihihi. <laughs> 
Thank you, Honourable Chairperson. Honourable Chairperson. Honourable Minister, in September 2019, our committee embarked on a visit to the supported Employment Enterprise Centre in Cape Town. We were warmly welcomed there by the alternately abled community who showed us with pride the products that they were manufacturing. From coffee trays, which a number of the, minister, uh, the members received on the visit, and they're still in my, in my Acacia Park house, and I use it a lot, to lounge suites, there was literally nothing beyond their expertise. In order for these centers to grow and employ thousands more of this community, they simply need an opportunity for business. What is your department doing to encourage all government departments to set aside funds in order to procure specifically from these centres. Thank you. Thanks, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister. Uh, Honourable Chair, can I, with, your, with all humility, request you to just ask uh, the Honourable Member to uh, repeat the, the gist. Honourable Chairperson, with your permission. Minister, I was saying that the um, Supported Employment Enterprise Centre in Cape Town, and I believe there are a number across the country, they focus on manufacturing of furniture and household items, school desks, etc., etc. They are staffed by alternately abled people 
that is the correct term, uh, not disability, because people are alternately able. They are no less than anybody else. And the problem is, is that these centers are not supported as much as they should be, specifically by government. So I'm asking you as minister of your department, what are you doing to talk to other departments and say, when you're purchasing office desks, when you're purchasing school desks, when you're purchasing office furniture, please give consideration to these centers. Because with increased support, these centers will grow. And obviously, then they will provide more and more employment for the alternately abled community. That's the gist of the question. Thank you. Thanks very much, honorable member. Well, thank you very much. Uh, We really cannot agree with you more. I have said earlier on, responding to the other questions, that we agree with the president that on government procurement, be it at the local, be it at the provincial or national level, there is a need uh, for us to to make sure that that set aside of 40% procurement uh, is given or is felt by ordinary people, particularly the uh, uh, disabled people, 7% of that needs to get there. Our role, together with uh, DPME, is to monitor if on annual basis, this is going up, and that indeed we is not only talk, but indeed they are getting the support they need to get. Thanks, uh, Honourable Minister. Honourable Members, we are continuing with our follow-up question. I would like now to call Honourable Deprain. Thank you, Chair. Honourable Minister, although there are a number of agencies and skills uh, schemes that provide access to credit facilities and grants for disabled entrepreneurs, uh, which is a positive, my question would be, how many centres are currently operational that provide the necessary skills development for disabled entrepreneurs to sustainably utilise these credit facilities and grants? Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. Minister? Um. Honorable Chair, this responsibility we share with social development. So we will keep giving you an update as and when we are uh, receiving it. And let me also take this opportunity to say we will also forward it in writing through your good offices. Okay. Thank you, Honourable Member, Minister. Uh, the next follow-up question is going to be asked by Honourable N. Ngosi. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable House Chair. And thank you, Honourable Minister, for your response. Honourable Minister, what is the role of the department in encouraging 
participation of persons with difficulties in economic activities. I thank you, Honorable House Chair. Thanks very much, Honorable Member. Minister? Well, we, we uh, through you, Honorable uh, House Chair, they, we have to work with the communities to unearth, to find these people with disabilities and find their capabilities and working together with social development that has to look to their well-being. We work with them and education, uh, basic education and innovation, particularly in this era of 4IR, that we should not find our people not being having something to do because there's a lot that technology has brought to us which can be done. Thanks, Honorable Minister. Honorable Minister, we are continuing with our questions. Now we are on question number 37. That is asked by Honorable Paha. The pronounced economic threshold by President Ramaphosa has been mainstreamed in different programs uh, of departments aimed at empowering persons with disabilities. The National Youth Development Agency, which is an agency of government overseen by the department, delivers various services and programs to develop and support youth entrepreneurs through financial and non-financial business uh, development support services. In the year 2020, 2021 and 2022 financial year, the NYDA provided the following. One, 2014 youth-owned enterprises were supported with financial interventions. Let me repeat that. 2014. Two, 21,276 youth were supported with non-financial business development interventions. Three, 7,859 jobs were created and sustained through supporting entrepreneurs and enterprises. Last, 54 and 75 young people were capacitated with skills to enter the job market. In the 2021 2022 financial year, the NYDA grant uh, program has used 46% of the grant uh, on females, 52 males, 2% to persons with disabilities. There are continuous efforts 
to achieve gender parity, to improve access by persons with disabilities to the grants as per the new approved disability strategy. I thank you, Chair. Thanks very much, Honourable uh, Minister, Honourable Park. Thank you, um, Chairperson. Thank you, Minister, for your response. Um, Minister, I think that um, where we missed each other on this question, um, there's a specific interest that I had on the uh, people with disabilities, because that's where I think um, if you look at the Eastern Cape, for instance, you will find that there's more than 90% of unemployed people with disabilities. And, and so my main point of interest um, is more on the people with disabilities. Can you give specific instances of where your department has provided support to small businesses of people with disabilities and how many businesses are currently being supported? Thank you, Chairperson. Thanks, Honourable Member. Minister? I will uh, humbly request that we present the report in writing uh, and also come back to this House to give the answer to the Honourable Member. But also, largely, let me say to you, we have, as a country, when I say we, I mean all of us, said we clamor to at least open access, 7% access to people with disabilities throughout the country. So people who are living with disabilities in Eastern Cape are equally South African. They, constitution of this country say so. We should take care of all our people as the constitution instructs. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Minister. I'll now call uh, Honorable N.M. Khatebe. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, we can all agree that unemployment in general is at unacceptable levels in South Africa. Worse is the fact that your department deals with more vulnerable people that fall within unemployment. I would like to know whether your department, in collaboration with others, please name them, have identified in rural and township economies, program-specific entrepreneurship and job skills development opportunities that can assist the above-mentioned vulnerable groups. Thank you. Thanks very much, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister. Uh, Honourable Chair and uh, Honourable Member, let me repeat that uh, I agree with you that uh, there's a general uh, challenge of unemployment, particularly of our young people and disabled people and women in particular. We are at least consoled by the fact that we are all up and saying 
they need access. As our president says, leave no one behind. As we reconstruct, as we rebuild our country, uh, after the shackles of apartheid uh, and COVID-19. I did say also we will also be calling upon not only the usual uh, departments, but also the fact that we now have information technology. Uh, use it, because that's one uh, uh, sector that disabled people who at least have some hands can do that, or who have some disability can make use of the innovate through the IT. We are all hands on deck. And we are not doing this alone. We're doing it and making sure that it's being driven by the youth or with the youth through the NYDA, National Youth Development Agency. As I was reading out the figures that uh, uh, we we had uh, complied with co- complied with them earlier. I thank you. Thanks, uh, Minister. The next uh, follow up question is going to ask by Honourable Chavele. Oh, um, thank you, Honourable Minister, for your response to the question. The response is indicating some of the initiatives by government in assisting with skills development. The question is, Minister, is there are there any partners that the government is working with to achieve these noble goals, objectives? Thank you. Thanks, Honourable Member. Minister? Yes, uh, Honourable Chair. Uh, the first partner is the organization that works with us, uh, with the president. Uh, the, uh, on, on, on disability. There is a specific special agency that works with people with disability that we are serving as secretariat for, for as they sit and chat out their strategies. But they are led, we are led by the president. Having said that, we all have a responsibility to use the government-owned financial institutions to also contribute as the NYDA will also be contributing towards making sure that we make the lives of disabled people better in our country. Working with all other departments. Thank you. Thanks, Minister. And now on our members who are on follow-up question number four, that is going to ask by Honorable uh, okay. 
Netuna. Watu baba pilanka bukuwa bale bale bahane le mathata a gore ga ba khono go ikemela ka madi. Tuna ke matsapa afeng a o atsereng go thusa batho ba tlhagileng ka bukuwa ke lebogo. Thanks honorable Mtsamai, honorable minister. Uh, honorable chair, I did say that uh, ke social development bao bana go le ke ile go matseno a sojeng a lebelle a lebelle le batho bao rena re shimishana le bona ka policy so re awa eletse gore ba le ke ka matla gore ba thokomele bora di chelete or financial financial institutions ke lenja mmuso le je senja mmuso gore di gone go thusa batho bao re reng aba gone go itlamela ba tlhoka thuso ya puso thanks eh minister honorable minister we continue now with our question number 42 that have asked by Honourable Nsubi. Honourable Minister. The Presidential Working Group on Disability is made up of uh, representatives of the civil society organizations for persons with disabilities and serves as an advisory body to ad- uh, advise the President on all matters regarding the disability sector. The Presidential Working Group has set up nine work streams in line with key priorities of government and monitors uh, the implementation thereof. The Department of Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities serve, as I said earlier on, as a secretariat for this uh, uh, entity. Government departments have made commitments in line uh, with said priorities and report on progress annually to the president and the presidential working group. Thanks, Honorable Minister. Honorable Nsube. Working Chair. No, thanks, thanks, uh, Honorable Laos Chairperson. Uh, let me also appreciate the response by Honorable Minister. I, w- I just want to check that uh, uh, based on the different, based on the progress reports by different government departments, is there any progress in the implementation of the commitments made faster? Thank you very much, Honorable House Chairperson. Thanks, Honorable Member, Honorable Minister. Well, uh, there was a call, uh, Honorable Chair, made 
once again yesterday by the president that we have one government department departments are to be the enablers that we do not work through silo uh, mechanism but work together that's why i keep repeating the leave no one behind as we rebuild and reconstruct south africa if we reduce see, sometimes we i say we because uh, i don't want to uh, sound otherwise silo mentality goes with when they say bring about accountability and how you are championing the cause that you have been given you think you should go go it alone but we work better if we coordinate our activities and work as one government thanks honorable minister the next follow up question is honorable msamai Uh, thank you, Chairperson of the session. My question is as follows. People with disabilities face a number of human rights violations, including stigma, lack of access to education, and lack of employment opportunities. Which programs, Minister, are currently in place for facilitating the successful economic participation of persons living with disabilities within provinces? Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Honorable Mletsani. Honorable Minister. Uh, Thank you, Chair. I think... uh... Honorable uh, member has actually answered, uh, asked a question, but also provided with the how should we go ahead. I did say that through the presidential working group, all disabilities, uh, 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 disability groups bring their representatives to say this is an area there where we need attention now and that gets followed up accordingly. We do not sit back as the Secretariat and design programs for them, but they design programs and bring them to the table and what we do is to support There's also a saying that comes from the people with disabilities, persons with disabilities, that nothing about us without us. They want absolutely nothing that gets done about them without them. So we work with them and take lead from that which they are pointing at as 
a priority area and uh, that's how we've been doing. Thanks, Honorable Minister. I would now like to call Honorable Dupree. Thank you, Chair. Honorable Minister, um, I have a three-part question being, how many programs for the empowerment of disabled persons are currently funded by the state? And what is the estimated annual cost of these fundings? And then what are the plans in place to motivate the public sector to contribute to funding these programs? Thank you. Thanks, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister? Well, sir, I did say that uh, as far as finances are concerned, we depend on other departments. This is my law. We, there's no budget financial that comes to the department, but our responsibility is to guide and work with monitoring and evaluation to guide the policies so that disabled people do not get left behind. Now that we realize that there's a need, we will insist on that from other departments and bring it in writing to this good house. I thank you. Thanks, uh, Honorable Minister, Honorable Members. Now we are coming to our fourth follow-up question that is going to ask by Honorable T.R. Ryder. Thank you, House Chair. Minister, Stats SA has confirmed that uh, after 28 years of ANC government, more than 90% of people with disabilities in rural areas remain unemployed. So if, in fact, there is anything that you're doing, it's not working. And I think the performance this afternoon answering questions has told us why. Minister, what initiatives has the Presidential Working Group on Disabilities launched to put our disabled people into decent jobs? Honourable Minister. Um, thank you, Honourable Chair. I did not come with the list. First, as to say that, safe to say that, through the Presidential Working Group, there are provincial representatives and they also keep their records on how they work with the disabled people. So if that is the need or the instruction from your good self and the house, that we must bring that to your good selves, that we will do. But For today, the Presidential Working Group uh, on Disability meets annually with the the President to assess assess, uh, progress made by the government. In 2021, workshop was held with the department, with our own department, and uh, 13 priority areas have been generated. They are linked 
uh, action plans and performance indicators in line with strategic plans and aligned to the medium-term uh, strategic framework to, of government uh, with little departments uh, identified to deliver on target. Successes recorded are that the government departments have identified key deliverables and made commitments for implementation. To date, the Department of Basic Education hosted an inclusive education summit. A commitment was made to host a transport summit and an economic empowerment summit for persons with disabilities. The Presidential Working Group is also a forum of engagement on planning, consultation, and disability rights uh, is also put on the agenda. Our department was part of the consultation of the issue of paper on paper towards development of disability rights legislation uh, processes towards the ratification of the AU protocol on disability uh, and the frameworks awareness self presentation universal design and access and reasonable accommodation. Reasonable accommodation also being really quite key or a priority. I thank you, Chair. Thanks, uh, Honorable Minister. Uh, honor, honorable Delegates, I would like now to thank the Minister, MCs, and all permanent and special delegates for availing themselves Honorable members, I would like also to make an announcement that uh, tomorrow there will be a women's charter event, Western Cape, tomorrow at a live conference center, Seapoint. Honorable members, Honorable, mem- Honorable delegates, that concludes the business of the day. The House is adjourned. Recording stopped. Thank you, Mama.